proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the reformed confessions of the faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective for Truth Meets Mission. My name is Aaron Carr, and as always, I'm joined with Chris Santola. And today we are hitting the topic of pastoral faithfulness. Chris, there's a lot that we could talk about on this topic of pastoral faithfulness, specifically with the events of recent with the United Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of uh, um, a lot has been said, whether that's through the blogosphere or uh, just through um, uh, articles and such. But um, a lot specifically has been written in regards to the African and Asian church and their stand that, I guess I could say it this way, the international church has taken against um, what appears to be the broad liberal push of the American Methodist Church. And I think you and I would both want to go on record right off the bat and say we recognize that not every American Methodist pastor should be classified as liberal. I, I, I understand that there were some who were uh, standing strong with their African and Asian brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would just make the point, though, that predominantly it was the international Methodist church that stood their ground. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and how that relates to specifically our topic today on pastoral faithfulness. Well, I think it has a lot to do with how we see ourselves in, in the middle of all of this. Uh, there's so much going on in, uh, in in the church in America, and I think sometimes we tend to get very focused on our own kind of uh, national bubble, if you would, of kind of what we see happening within the church and the Reformed Church, various denominations, and that kind of thing. And here now we got a perspective of what's going on more on even a global scale. And realizing that uh, things are, are not always what they appear to be. Uh, sometimes you get outside of your bubble and you realize, okay, wow, th- there actually is something bigger going on here. And so to see the the ministers there in Africa and Asia really step up, and like you said, and there were those here in the U.S. as well, to, to make that kind of a statement uh, a very theologically conservative statement, uh, even to the point where I read one article of uh, one of the ministers there basically saying, we don't need the the progressives over in the West telling us what we ought to believe. Uh, I really felt like, wow, what a, uh, what a check. Yeah, yeah uh, the, exact, <laughs> the, the exact quote of this is actually interesting. Um, he says, the Africans are not children in need of Western enlightenment when it comes to the church's sexual ethics, we do not need to hear a progressive U.S. bishop lecture us about our need to grow up. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Man, I read that and was just going, oh, that is great. Uh, because I think sometimes, you know, here in the U.S., you know, I, maybe it's that typical kind of, you know, America attitude. We tend to think, 
hey, we're the biggest, we're the baddest, we're the best, we're America. And unfortunately, I think some of that translates into, you know, certain circles within the church where we start thinking, hey, we're the trendsetter here. We're going to tell the rest of you guys what's up and how you ought to be. And, uh, you know, and so to hear somebody like that stand up and go, hey, like you said, we're, we're not a bunch of children that need you, uh, you know, quote unquote, enlightened, you know, people in the West to tell us what we ought to believe about what the Bible says about sexual ethics really, you know, to me, I, I, like I said, I would think that was a real check of just kind of saying, who do you think you are? No, uh, I think one of the most encouraging things is about this was that they stood their ground. Now, I know that everybody's nervous. Is the church going to split? And, you know, there, there are other issues that you and I would have with Methodist uh, doctrine and um, uh, maybe expressions of faith. Eh, but, sure. but the bottom line is to see them stand the ground and draw a line they truly, at this moment, were being faithful shepherds over the sheep that God has entrusted to them. And even, what's scary is to see that the percentage was so narrow, right? But at the same time, praise God for those shepherds that stood the ground. We've watched other denominations slowly slip away. Um, as always, I'm always working through different Princeton uh, books and such, and just refreshing some of the... Uh, uh, aspects of of the great debate in Princeton regarding liberalism, when Warfield wrote against uh, the onslaught, uh, when Machen wrote against the push that others were making for a unified church and everybody just get along and let's lower the bar so low to the point that there's no doctrinal uh, there's no doctrinal integrity whatsoever. Every it's so easy everybody a, a Unitarian could jump on board. And for those who are willing to stand the ground and fight for truth, we need to celebrate that. And I think that's what yeah. you and I are trying to get across is that pastoral faithfulness matters. It matters at the denominational level. It matters at the local church level. And it's something that shouldn't be uh, minimized or ignored, but actually celebrated when it's seen. Yeah, you know, I was actually a while back going back and revisiting a lot of the uh, the Puritan movement in America and uh, a little bit, you know, within England and looking at a lot of what was going on during that time and realizing that some of what we're dealing with are perhaps different subjects at hand. But the whole issue of schism and theological liberalism, uh, you know, pushing against uh, the teaching of Scripture and that kind of thing really has been going on for a long time. And it seems to follow the same kind of pattern every time. But the big thing to see is that there, in every generation, has been a faithful remnant of men leading the church who stood up and said, we are not going to give in to this. Uh, we are not going to bow down to this. And if there has to be a split, if there has to be schism, uh, then there is. Uh, the reality of it is, is biblically, uh, we are called to come out from those who are living in an unrepentant, unwavering pattern of sin. And that goes on a personal level, that we have to have a degree of separation there. It goes on a denominational level, to where if we are in fellowship with those, uh, with, like you said, the bar is becoming so low that basically anybody can practically come in there, then there comes a time where we say enough is enough, and division is going to be necessary. 
And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I really think that's a biblical thing. It's hard. It's it's sad. It's heartbreaking. But ultimately, it serves the glory of Christ and the true unity of his church as it desires to stand in the truth of Scripture. It's no surprise. I mean, the things that we see today is, as I was just given testimony to, I was reading Warfield and Machen. We're talking the 1920s. But you can go back in the 1800s and the 1700s and the 1600s. Uh, obviously, in the 1500s, there's there's these this constant battle and the place where the shepherds of God's sheep have to draw a line and say no more. And there's a, a reformed and always reforming, right? There's a sense in which we have to constantly be standing guard. I want to just draw our attention to this idea of pastoral faithfulness in light of Scripture. And I thought, I just wrote down some that I thought I would walk us through, and I want to get your take on this, Chris. But the first is from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, which focuses on preach the word, right? Preach the word. Mm -hmm. And I want us to think about that aspect, that at, at the foundational level of what a pastor's duty is to, is to preach the word. And the the one of the core problems is people are not preaching the word. They're preaching emotionalism. They're preaching yep. uh, experience. They're 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 celebrating things that that are not God's word being declared, but every whim of 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 passion, and 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 holding it up and saying it's acceptable or it should be celebrated or or. Uh, Whatever, whatever the the uh, the emotionism, uh, emotionalism of the day is, but give us your perspective on the importance of just of Second Timothy four two. And if you want to read the whole passage, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Second Timothy four two is a portion of scripture. There, Paul talking to Timothy uh, says, "I Charles start at verse one. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word." Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off for myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry." Man, what a loaded passage that is. Um, you know, there is just throughout this this call, this serious, I mean, we could say a call, but I mean, it's really a charge to Timothy that this one who has been called by God to, to pastor this flock to preach the word. Uh, and in all kinds of different circumstances, like he says, in season and out of season, which tells us there are going to be periods of time where it is... Uh, popular to preach the word, uh, where you're not going to really receive a whole lot of pushback against that. It's more socially acceptable. And then there's going to be those seasons of time where it is not going to go well for you if you are faithful to preaching the word. And I think we're probably heading a little bit more and more within our culture into that type of a season where if you're being faithful to really preach the word of God, uh, you're going to fall into disfavor with the culture. And we need to be okay with that. We need to be ready for that and be okay with that. And if you're not okay with that, uh, I would seriously question your sense of calling into the ministry. Uh, that's a pretty plain thing here in this passage. He says we need to be ready to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort. Okay, so that means not just encourage, not just uplift, uh, you know, 
definitely we're not always telling people things that are going to seem positive and fill them with joy, but we are going to be willing to confront. Uh, you know, no one likes confrontation. I know, you know a lot of pastors don't like confrontation, but we're at a time where if, if we're truly going to be preaching the word, confrontation is going to be necessary. That I mean, I think in just those few words there, reprove, rebuke, exhort, that is implied heavily. Uh, and to do battle, so, almost battle language, uh, right. know, line of demarcation. Uh, if I could jump over to First Peter chapter 5, picking up on this, this is verses 1 through 4. So I exalt you, the elders among you, as fellow elders and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as partakers in the glory that which is now to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Um, just the idea that we have been given charge over this flock. We're to watch it. We're to guard it. We're to protect it. We're to give our lives for it. And, yeah. it, and, and, and the reason is Christ is coming back. And what he's entrusted to us as faithful stewards, we're all going to be held accountable to. And he's not left us without clear directive about what we're supposed to protect them from and what we're supposed to feed them and how we're supposed to lead them. It's all found in his word, coming back to that preach the word. Um, but the keeping the watch, or key, uh, uh, the idea of watching over the flock, I think is an important aspect that needs to be reminded. Why? Because... The great shepherd himself will return, and every one of us is going to give account. So pastors, elders, be faithful. Be faithful. Any thoughts on that passage? Yeah, I think, you know, as you look at the passages that uh, you find there in Peter, he's dealing heavily with Christians that are suffering. Uh, they're enduring persecution for their faith. And as I think he charges the pastors there in chapter five, the, uh, that the elders among them, uh, would, uh, even as they have seen the sufferings of Christ, that they'd recognize themselves to be partakers in that, that they would shepherd the flock of God that's among them, exercising oversight. I think one of the real challenges in this, again, you look at words like that, exercising oversight, uh, we've, we're in such a, an individualistic mindset within Western culture, this idea that we are part of a body, that we're part of something beyond ourselves, and that there are, are roles to play in that. There's submission involved to our, our leadership, uh, and there is a sacrificial servanthood uh, in the leadership giving itself over to, to take care of that flock. Like, uh, you, we need to kind of remind ourselves of that. And I think a lot of Christians needed to be reminded of that. And here the pastors are being reminded of that, that, Hey, you have a job to do that. Uh, this, this calling isn't simply you get up there and, and share some encouraging words and, you know, get your kudos from everyone saying, Oh, great, great message, pastor, you know, great word. Uh, really, I heard a quote a while back saying the real test of a sermon isn't whether people are saying great sermon, but whether they're saying what a great God. Wow. Yeah. And I, I think as you, as you build off of this idea of the shepherding and the calling and the line, uh, drawing the line in the sand and, and, and is this idea 
that's Acts chapter 20, verse 28, is dealing with where Paul is talking to the uh, elders in Ephesus. Okay, so I'm in Acts tw uh, chapter 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock. And I notice it begins with ourselves. And I think we have to be mindful of that. Where are we slipping? Where is the word of God not penetrating us? Uh, where are our idols? Things that um, we're letting slip in. If you go back to 1 John, uh, the, the book of 1 John, it's interesting what 1 John ends with, okay? And as you come to 1 John, the very last statement that John makes after this repeated theme throughout 1 John, to know, to know, to know, is he comes at the very end of 1 John and listen to his statement. Verse 21 of chapter 5, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why? Mm -hmm. Because we better watch because idols, as you're already talking about, can be popularity. It can be it can be a paycheck. It can be knowing that I have I got health care. And so I'm willing to compromise as a pastor to protect those things. My image, my 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 paycheck, my health care, my retirement, whatever it is. And we begin to compromise because those things become more important to us than God and God's word. And I think little checks, like, what is it that I'm encouraged to hear my people say? Is it, good job, pastor, as you said, or is it, wow, what an awesome God we serve? Pray, yeah. you know, you're bringing up a really good point there, and I think it draws from this idea of idols and idol worship that, that really we fester and feed so freely. So again, I come back to the Acts 20, 28 passage, keep watch over yourself yeah. first, and keep watch over the flock. You can't keep watch over the flock properly if, Pastor, you're not keeping watch over yourself and how easily we begin to give in uh, to heart disease, if you know what yep. I mean, uh, yeah. wrong affections. I mean, the pastor's got their own particular temptations that they're going to be drawn towards, those particular idols that are going to appeal to them. You mentioned some of them a little earlier, you know, the popularity or or the pay or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, the, the, the security they have in their position, I mean, and then you've got all the people that have all of their things, you know, and I've heard it once said that even though in our culture, uh, we don't have the, the bronze statues and that kind of thing that, uh, while the statues of the deity are few, the gods of the mind are many. And so <laughs> pastors start realizing, well, look, this is what my people want. Yes. I want to be accepted by them. So I'm going to give them what they want. Right. And here's what happens, I think, in a lot of cases. There is a, a way to nuance our doctrine. I mean, let's just face it. It's pretty well understood. I mean, you can see this in seminaries and just in it's really easy to see that if you torture the text long enough, it'll confess to anything. Yeah. And you see these kind of exegetical gymnastics to get around clear, historical, accepted teachings of scripture. There's a way to nuance our doctrine and our teaching so as to make it unoffensive, to remove all of the, the biblical language, to, to secularize it and psychologize it, and to ultimately reveal that we're not concerned with being faithful to the word of God. We're not concerned with faithfulness to Christ. We're trying to please the people we're talking to, which goes back to that passage there Paul talking to Timothy saying people having itching ears are going to gather together to them, people to tell them exactly what they want to hear. And so, you know, I think in some cases, and don't get me wrong, I, it's possible to go too far with this, I think. But I mean, 
we'll talk about things like instead of talking about sin, we'll talk about negativity. Yeah, yeah, we replace uh, the word. Yep. Right. Instead of talking about, if, you I, know, if I could say it this way, we're yeah, lo- we're loving people to hell. Right. You know, yeah. because we're afraid to point out that the their disobedience to the word is what Jesus went to the cross for to die for sin. Well, what is sin? Disobedience to the word, disobedience yep. to God's command. And so because we're unwilling to call that sin, therefore we're allowing them to think they have no need to repent. Right. And, I mean, I, go ahead. I think, you know, in terms of other things, instead of talking about drunkenness, we'll talk about alcoholics. Uh, we'll talk about spirituality instead of religion. Uh, well, instead of telling people that they are sinful, we'll say you're messy. Uh, we'll talk about people being broken instead of being unrighteous. Uh, and so we'll talk about all of these implications of the gospel, uh, such as reconciliation or healing, equity, justice, etc., apart from Christ, apart from the actual gospel and and its remedy. Uh, we won't talk about repentance. Uh, we'll, we'll lose all those biblical terms, and, and we take all of these things and really form an entirely different religion out of it. Now, the thing is, a, a lot of these things, being sinful, will make your life a mess, right? Mm. But but if we talk about, if we just tell people, well, you know, you're just messy. Well, messy doesn't mean that I have committed an act of, as Sproul would say, cosmic treason against the the living God. I've offended God by my actions, and my my actions, my sin is worthy of death. And I am called to repent of that and to place my faith in Christ and to be forgiven and to be transformed and to grow in Christ's likeness. Instead, it's just kind of like, well, you know, I just... Got to work on a little bit of, you know, tweak, tweak some things. Just got to tweak, tweak, tweak some things. You know, I need a little self-help. I need that gal on Netflix to come in. Does this spark joy? If it doesn't spark joy, then let it go. You know, and you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's like. No, because it's, it's because what's, <laughs> what's preached by so many in, in our culture is that Jesus just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to be happy. Yeah. And friends, the ultimate goal of God is his glory. Yeah. Right? And it's and our happiness truly is found in his glory. That's what we were made for, but we're buying in again back to the idols. We're buying into these these things that ultimately we think will bring joy, which ultimately is just a cesspool and it and it brings dissatisfaction. I want to flip over to Ezekiel 34 and I just want to read a couple of verses here beginning at verse 7. Therefore you shepherds Hear the word of the Lord, as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there is no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hands, and to put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Holy mm. moly, when you read that, mm. and you realize the severity <laughs> that, that he cares for his own, and 
he is not going to mess around with shepherds who are not being faithful. Faithful to his word. Faithful in truly watching themselves and their, and their own idols. Uh, those who are truly not caring for the flock by feeding it, leading it, protecting it, drawing those lines and, and calling sin what is sin. Know that he is coming and when he comes, he's not coming uh, to, to sing kumbaya. He is coming to yeah. bring judgment. Um, and I think this really pushes us to the next a aspect that I want to cover in this discussion about faithfulness of pastors is this calling, this idea of qualifications. Um, one of the things I kind of wanted to draw out was uh, one of my books I read all the time, every year I try to pull out, is a book called The Work of Pastor by William Still. And at the, right at the beginning of the book, he makes this quote, the ultimate aim is to lead God's people to offer themselves up to his total devotion of worship and service. That we're, the goal is to lead people to offer themselves up for the glory of God, just put it in my own words. And, I, and, I, and to think about that, the person who's called to the ministry as a shepherd or a pastor, his goal is to lead people in such a way that that is the ultimate byproduct, that they're leading and presenting themselves before God for his glory. Well, this takes a unique person. This takes one whom the Spirit of God rests upon, one whom is called by God. And, and as you and I have done discussions upon this in the past about the inward call and the external call. But before we get even to the call, what does the scripture say is the qualification? So if you just take a minute and just mm -hmm. read for us those qualifications as found in Titus chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 9. I think that'll give us some, uh, uh, some, uh, at least some boundaries to begin with on this idea of those who call themselves pastors that maybe have no business being called pastors. Yeah, you know, there, Paul writing to Titus, he says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now he says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So what do you pull out of that? There's a lot going on there. It speaks a lot to the personal character of the elder. Um, you know, as you look at these qualifications, I've had some people say, well, character is the most important thing. Yes, it is. But their character is what is described overall by all of these different things that you kind of put the whole passage together. Uh, it, it speaks to the, the character, the nature, the inward uh, nature of the man called to the office of elder or overseer here. Um, it talks about their family life. Uh, you know, it talks about they are to be above reproach. Um, which isn't to say that they're perfect, but, you know, that there's no one that's able to come and go, hey, this guy, this guy is shady. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're above reproach, husband of one wife, so they're a one-woman man. 
his children are believers. Uh, they're not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So they're not somebody who is living a lifestyle of rebellion. Uh, they, they don't buck against authority. Uh, for we ourselves, even as pastors, are under the authority of Christ. We're under the authority of his word. Uh, we're going to be under the authority of those others that we are submitted to uh, within our denominational structure, say, whether that's uh, uh, presbytery or whatever, uh, classes, you can you name it. I mean, there's, there's always some kind of a structure of authority. Um, and he says, for an overseer, as God's steward, and there again comes back to that issue you were mentioning earlier. We are given the church as a stewardship. We have been entrusted with the people of God to care for them, to, to shepherd them. And one thing I was thinking of as you were talking earlier, Aaron, was where is the fear of God? Where is the fear of the Lord in this? You know, do, do pastors at times become so numb uh, in their situations and really, you know, experience that kind of blinding effect of their own sin to where they lose that sense of the fear of God and realize, uh, fail to realize what it is that they have been entrusted with and the kind of accountability, uh, the standard that they are being held to by God, that they are to care for and feed and protect and nurture his people in the word of God as an under shepherd of Christ. Um <laughs> In his book uh, by William Plummer, uh, it's uh, Helpful Hints for Pastors, Um, there's a specific chapter on the call to ministry. And one of the things he brings out that I thought was very interesting, dealing with the importance of us really evaluating our internal call, because there's a lot of people that assume they're called. They look at those qualifications, they kind of quickly white uh, gloss over them, I guess is what I'm trying to say, whitewash them, and they don't really evaluate whether or not am I really uh, called. He he quotes in this book. He says there was a man by the name of Scott, and and, and this man was talking about his own call to ministry and how he had a wrong perspective. And he says my views, as far as I could ascertain them, were that these three: a desire for a less laborious and more comfortable way of procuring a livelihood than otherwise I had perspective of. The expectation of more leisure to employment in reading, of which I uh, inordinately was fond of, and a profound conceit of my own abilities with a vain, glorious imagination that I should sometime distinguish and advance myself. And I, I just think about those three things. I want a job where I don't have to work really hard. I want a job <laughs> that I get to do the things I love, like reading and writing and, and maybe philosophizing. Or I want a job where I can be made much of. And this, this illustration that he gives, William Plummer, in his book, Helpful Hints to Pastors, on the calling to ministry, he gives us an example of this man named Scott who said, those were the things that I was really wrestling with because why I wanted to be called so bad. And I think what a dangerous thing it is to try to choose being a pastor because you view, view it as easy if you you view it as it has the the traits and the qualities of the things that I enjoy doing, or hey, this is a place I can be a big fish in a small pond, yeah, and I, and I want to be somebody. All those reasons are horrible reasons to assume one is called. In fact, I would say sinful because 
none of them should be the reason you're called. Because uh, absolutely, if, in fact, you shouldn't be making a big deal about yourself. You should be a servant. Um, you shouldn't uh, be viewing that you get to spend all your time doing the things you want to do. No, I'm serving God's house, doing yep. the things He wants me to do, and it's not. That's going to take me a little bit of time. It's that it's going to take me my whole life. I'm going to have to give my own blood for the purpose of serving his sheep. And you look at that and you think, this is the problem with the internal call aspect is people are choosing to come into the pastorate that have no business. They're not qualified. Yeah. They're not meeting what Titus says or what Timothy says. They're their desires are wrong. They're evaluating their internal call based upon the wrong thing. And then let me come to the external call. Churches are in such need, they're just grabbing anybody. Yeah. Seminaries are made to make money. They're going to let everybody come and take courses, right? That's what seminaries do. And so, oh, you got a seminary degree? Come on in. Come on in. We need a pastor. And so we're just grabbing anybody because we're, we're, we're allowing, we're lowering the bar of the external call so much. And then the internal call, nobody is really challenging when somebody stands in front and says, I believe I'm called by God for whatever reason they give uh, in, for, in front of their presbytery, in front of their classes, or, or whatever they stand in front of. Yeah. This is a dangerous thing. Why? Go back to the Ezekiel passage we just read. Judgment this, is yeah. coming, man. This Judgment is not is to be trifled with. Uh, you know, it's funny, even just you mentioned people thinking that uh, you know, this is going to be an easy job for me. I'm like, if that's what you're thinking right out of the gate, you probably are not called to be a pastor uh, because that's crazy. <laughs> if you're really going to be a pastor and shepherd the flock of God entrusted to you, it is not going to be easy all the time. In fact, a good part of the time, like you said, you are going to suffer. You are going to be challenged. You are going to endure all types of struggle and hardship, uh, whether it's emotional, whether it's personal, uh, you're going to deal with all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, and I come right back to this, uh, seeing them as God's steward, not be arrogant, not be greedy for gain. Uh, but, you know, what I, I think what those I two is, things. Yeah, I was going to say is what I see is we have in the pastorate so much of is we have wolves and weaklings. Yeah. You know, we have wolves who are there for their own purpose. How many times we've seen this played out, you know, and, and it's just dis discouraging to see people that get into these positions and are, are abusive verbally, uh, using their authority for their own purpose. Wolves just, just, just leading and tearing the flock apart. But then weaklings who just want to have a comfortable life. Just yeah won't stand for anything. And, and this is what is so discouraging because what you end up with is the train wreck that we're seeing happen before our eyes in the newspapers uh, and, and, and the TV shows and all this before our eyes of, of what the church looks like around the world, specifically, though, here in America. Yeah, and not only that, but even understanding this is not a, as you read these qualifications, this is not a best 7 out of 10. Uh, this is this isn't multiple. You you know where I'm going. This is this is not multiple choice. Um, like, well, I mean, he meets most of the qualifications. Uh, no, this is you meet all of the qualifications, or you're not fit for the office. Um, you know, and I've seen this kind of thing before, where it was blatantly obvious to everybody that certain individuals did not meet numerous parts of those qualifications. 
But, well, you know, but I mean, hey, you know, they're they're working on those things. No, you get you don't work on them after you're appointed. You either are qualified and appointed or you're not. Um, and like you said, unfortunately, I think a lot of churches are so desperate to get guys in there who can be pastors or elders in the church that they're willing to compromise on those things. And my experience has demonstrated exactly what I think the scripture says. It is destructive to the life of the church because you get people in there that aren't qualified and they end up acting in ways that are destructive and doing things and making decisions that ultimately hurt the body of Christ. And, uh, yeah, and right there along with that, going back to what you said about the easy stuff, it's like the job of the pastor is not to just simply, because we were, we're talking a lot about, you know, being faithful to preach the word in season and out, all of that. But the job of the pastor is not just show up on Sunday, preach, and that's it. We are to, she- that's that's not shepherding. That's, that's not pastoring. Um, you know, shepherding, uh, pastoring the flock of God involves constant daily involvement in the lives of your people. Uh, and so, again, it comes back to that thing of like, if you're considering that you may be called to ministry, what exactly do you think that entails? Yeah, uh, if, if, I could, if I could flip it all on its head, we've been talking a lot about the negative, about, about the, the wolves and the weaklings that are in the pastorate and the messes that that gets us in. And, and I gave the example, I said, that's not just happening here in America, that happens globally. You see it, the same thing happening in Europe that you see the church folding under the pressure of liberalism and, and man, cultural acceptance. Praise God for places where uh, the gospel has just taken root and is on fire, like in Africa, like in Asia. And that's the, the stuff we're praying for to happen in Europe, the stuff to happen in America, is that, that the gospel will take root and, and be on fire. And he's... God, that's who I'm referring to, he is going to use those he's appointed for this work. And that's why those who are truly called, have that inward call, meet those qualifications, have experienced a true external call, and are called forward to stand in the gap, to be watchmen on the wall, to be ministers of the word. This is the number one rule that William still gives them. Depend upon the Holy Spirit. This is your life, not part of it, but this is your life. Depend upon the Holy Spirit. Where do you get the fortitude to stand in the gap? Where do you get the fortitude to stand up in your denomination and speak and preach truth? Where do you get the fortitude to call out someone's sin when it's not convenient? It may cost you your job. You may lose your health care. You may lose your retirement. Uh, It comes from the Holy Spirit who is seeking to glorify the Father and the Son through that preacher who stands in the gap. Yeah, and let me let, let me back you up real quick and uh, and ask you something because you mentioned a few terms there in passing, and I think it'd be helpful to our listeners if we maybe just elaborated on those slightly. You mentioned the internal call, the external call, uh, that kind of thing. Would you elaborate on those things just so everybody, you know, I know a lot of our listeners might know what that means, but for those who don't, what do you mean by that? Yeah, we, we should have defined them before we used them, right? But but internal call is that that calling that only the preacher can sense as to I can do nothing else that would truly bring me joy. 
Yeah. Um, there's, and I'm not just talking about happiness and pleasant, but, but actual satisfaction because it's in my bones. It's, it, it's an urgency that I feel compelled towards. And that internal call has to be matched with an external call. Right. I was going to say, no, that's not enough. That's not enough. <laughs> the external call is the local church in for a Baptist uh, group. It's a presbytery for Presbyterians, a classis for the Reformed Church. These, these, uh, these, uh, these. Uh, what am I looking for? These, uh, these councils, committees, uh, these oversight uh, shepherds have a responsibility to affirm that call. Right. That is done as they evaluate the individual. Is God's hand upon them? Looking at Scripture, the Apostle Paul clearly was called on the road to Damascus. We look at that, we say, oh, well, we see it. Yeah, but remember, the people of the church were still afraid of him. What mm -hmm. was interesting was when he went on the missionary journey with Barnabas, he was set apart, right, by the Holy Spirit. But the affirmation came by the church that sent him. And so we see very clearly there's an internal call, there's an external call, and both are, uh, are required. And that's why there's like, if you will, gates of, of that. Uh, you have in a situation like with, uh, with uh, Spurgeon, uh, it appears to be the external call came first, you know, and then the internal call and the clearness and because they were calling him to be a preacher at a young age. I, you know, maybe Ray Rhodes, who in his book, uh, books about Spurgeon would tell us a little different. Maybe the order happened somewhat different, but that's the, our appearance as we read things about Spurgeon's life. But notice there's both gates. There's the internal and the external, and both are necessary as, uh, in, 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 as we pursue this calling. That is all um, still uh, standing upon the foundation of God's word of the qualifications. The internal call has to be measured against those qualifications of Scripture. The external call has to be measured against the qualifications of Scripture. And like you said, you can't just be shooting 50%. Right. Right? Now, I want to be careful here because none of us meet that standard 100% perfectly, right? Right. We're all growing and, and developing in that. But here's the thing. Is there any reason that you sh you are, you're unfit or unqualified for that? And I think we've lowered the bar so much because we don't want to say no to people. We don't want to have hard conversations. Let me be real blunt. We don't want to disciple today. Yeah. And, and we do that in our churches. We do that in our presbyteries. We do that in our classes. We do that uh, in, our, in our callings of church. Well, you know, Johnny really feels called to help with the youth. Well, let's help, let him help with youth. Johnny has no business with youth. He's just looking for a girlfriend. You know, let's, let's, let's be honest. Do we have standards? Are we seeing the responsibility to guard and protect the sheep? And those gates are there in place. And so that's what I'm referring to. This would be all kind of under the, the heading special call because not every person has this internal and external call. This is a special called group of people. We're not talking about the general call of the gospel and the effectual call of the gospel. We're talking about the special call of those who are called to be pastors. There's a higher accountability for these people. There's uh, an expectation that God has, of, and as we've read in Ezekiel, where judgment is coming. It, it's, it, many should not want to be teachers. Why? Because there's going to be an account for what they teach, for what how they lead. 
And so I think this is the point that we draw back to, yet we shouldn't be afraid of that call. And if God's in, truly working on us and we feel that internal call, and it has been acknowledged as an external call, and we're standing up, are we preaching the word? Are we watching over the flock? And I'll come back to William Still here. Are we leaning upon the Holy Spirit? Not just part of the time, but all of the time in everything. Because I'll be honest, I'm weak. I'm a man. I'm, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. But it's the Holy Spirit who works through me to proclaim truth to God's people. It's the Holy Spirit who guides me in counseling and discipleship. It's the Holy Spirit who encourages me in those difficult times when I have to stand in the gap and call out sin in, 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 a, in a friend or a brother. Um, it's, it's the Holy Spirit who, who gives me long-suffering and gentleness uh, to handle uh, those who are, are caught in sin. It's, mm -hmm. it's the Holy Spirit who teaches and reminds me the truth that uh, I cannot be dismissive of. And this is the point that, that we're referring to when we say this is what we mean by being faithful yeah. as a pastor. And Aaron, I love hearing what you just said there, this, this utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, it's, it's a very strange thing. I don't understand why. And it's not strictly uh, within our kind of camp, you might say. But it does seem like sometimes amongst the Reformed, there tends to be a bit of a fear of the Holy Spirit uh, and sometimes even an assumption of the, you know, the Holy Spirit where, uh, you know, and you can find that demonstrated where there, wherever there is a lack of prayer, um, wherever there is a, a lack of stepping out in faith. Uh, when, when I, what I see is we get into this thing where we start becoming very dependent on our systems and our processes and our uh, you know, our, our own wisdom and understanding and things like that. And we, we stop leaning into the Lord in prayer. We stop really depending on him. And it's just kind of like, Hey, all the machinery is moving. We got this. And, uh, and it, we start really missing out on the powerful working of the Holy spirit in the life of the church and in our ministry as pastors. And I was telling someone a while back, uh, you know, I actually preached a sermon. I was up in Boise uh, visiting a church up there, and uh, I preached up there on the necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of the church. And it's just something I've become very, very passionately, uh, you know, kind of refocused on here lately. And so I love hearing you mention that, that as pastors, we're not relying on our, our training and our gifting and our skills. All of that amounts to squat without the powerful working of the person of the Holy Spirit uh, in us and working through us to accomplish the purposes of God that he has for us. Yeah, who, who is the one who teaches and reminds us those things we've been taught? The Holy Spirit. Who is the one who, who encourages us and empowers us to, to speak truth in difficult times, to stand in the gap, to have fortitude and, and commitment, the Holy Spirit. 
who is the one who reminds us of the grace we have ourselves have received and to be long-suffering and gentle mm. is the Holy Spirit. So praise God for the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. Yes, the Holy Spirit um, is indwells every believer. Yes, the Holy Spirit leads and teaches. But oh, praise God for the work of the Spirit in the pastor and his enabling him to fulfill this calling to be faithful. And when we see those who are not being faithful, starting as we did at the very beginning of this podcast, to the word, when we see those who are not being faithful in protecting and leading and watching over the flock, because they're allowing them to devour things that are not acceptable before God, things that are sinful, things that are destructive to the body, do not claim to have the Holy Spirit when you're allowing those things. Do not claim to be in the Spirit. Do not claim to be the church. One of the biggest arguments we've already said in this podcast that, that was made uh, by those in the, in the liberal movement was they wanted to claim the name Christian. They wanted to twist it into what they wanted it to be. And Machen says, you have no right to claim that name. Yeah. Because what you're preaching is not Christianity. And so I would say with those who stood in the gap for the United Methodist Church and, and, and said, this is not acceptable to God, they were speaking in the Spirit. That was not an easy thing to do. That was not a convenient thing to do. That was not a comfortable thing to do. But that was a necessary thing to do, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Praise God for yeah, that. Amen. Celebrate man. that, you know. Um, and so if this at all ministers to you, praise God, because we recognize being a pastor is a hard thing. <laughs> amen, Chris? Yeah, amen. It is a hard thing being a pastor. It is a hard thing to shepherd God's flock. It is a hard thing to lead people to hear things that they don't naturally want to hear, such as, hey, you're a sinner in need of a savior. You can't save yourself. Praise God that it's the Holy Spirit who draws men unto himself. Praise God it's the Holy Spirit who takes our mangled, misspoken words and uses them to soften hearts and, and to bring life into those who are dead. Praise God that he is the one who 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 transforms lives because as a pastor, I can't, I'm yeah. broken, I'm weak, I'm sinful, but I'm seeking to be faithful by relying on the Holy Spirit, being faithful to the word and watching over God's flock. That's, that's what we're talking about today. Yeah. That right there, man, just sums up what really needs to be the mindset of us all. Uh, is just an utter dependence on the Holy Spirit to do his work through us. And as for us, as far as we're concerned, we need to be faithful to the word. We, we need to walk in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness to the word. And so, hey, guys, take that stand. Don't back down. Don't compromise. Uh, take that stand on the word of God in season or out of season. Preach the word. Two books we mentioned today was the first was William, The Work of Pastor by William Still. Again, I would commend that book to you. The other was Helpful Hints to Pastors by William Plummer. The specific chapter we were referring to was A Call to the Ministry. I believe that book is a free PDF that you can Google search and download and read for free. So take up and read. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook page.